Welcome. This is Chris and Rick Talk Guitars. That's Chris over there taking a big drink of his coffee. Howdy. And I'm Rick. And we had a couple listeners uh, give us a great idea, which was to talk about pointy guitars or guitars from the 80s or guitar in the 80s. And we really appreciate that. Um, Keep those ideas coming in. We love it because it helps us um, perpetuate uh, topics to to rant about in our little podcast. But um, we both... Chris and I love to talk about that because it, it's it's an interesting time period for guitar. Pointy guitars became in favor. Everybody wanted a Jackson or a Charvel the or BC Rich or the Super Strat. Um, and consequently, like uh, classic guitars like Gibson, Les Pauls and Strats were kind of out of favor, right? Because everybody was focused on these pointy guitars uh, with Floyd Rose. Everything had a Floyd Rose on it at that time, too, because of... Or a Kaler, yeah. yeah I think Floyd Rose was the first. I don't know. I don't know which one was first. Do you know? I think I th- I don't know to be honest. I want to say a good ta- a good thing Kaler to look was, up and yeah. know so you yeah, can like bore people exactly. with that little nugget. Yeah. But um yeah, and so I'm always interested because I remember back then distinctly going to music stores and seeing Les Pauls and Strats for really fair prices because they just weren't moving as 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 these Jacksons and Charvels and all these other crazy guitars were moving off the shelves because everybody wanted a a pointy guitar and a bright colored guitar and of course they had to have the dive bomb Floyd Rose too right because yeah. of Eddie Van Halen thanks I think, Eddie I think that it was probably Eddie Van Halen who started the Super Strat craze because you know exactly he like took his uh, he just took his chisel and shit out and made that um you know his his stripy guitars. And I'm pretty sure he probably had, you know, kind of spearheaded the old super strap movement. He had a Stratocaster, but, you know, he rammed a humbucker in the bridge and did those other things. So it's interesting. If you look at the climate, and I think there's a very different climate between the early 80s and the late 80s. So it's kind of the middle era, I think, where that really became prominent that, you know, pointy headstocks, every guitar manufacturer had to have a pointy headstock. So I think... That probably did it because Eddie Van Halen was late eighties, or not late late seventies. No, yeah, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, so but I, I, I blame him for that whole. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I think his that strat he created was the template for what was to come in terms of guitars in the eighties. I think because and his style of play, right? Because then everybody was tapping. Uh, and everybody was using the Floyd, the Floyd big Rose squeals, big squeals and stuff. And so he really is to blame for that whole. Uh, Thanks, Edward. Sad chapter in guitar uh, history. Yeah, um, if you look, I mean, I, during the the early '80s, I was way into like classic, you know, metal guitar, like which I which I always see, I always call like pop metal because it's metal, but it's very hooky and very poppy. Like what know? kind of stuff specifically? Like um, Iron Maiden, oh, yeah, Judas yeah. Priest, oh, yeah. UFO, things totally. like that, like the first wave British stuff. And those bands were all classic guitars, right? They yeah. had you know the the Gibsons and the and the Fenders, yep. and you know Iron Maiden, he. He put a um, that dude put a it was a Dave Murray he put a yeah. a humbucker in his bridge he pickup did. too he did probably but it was before still, Ed, yeah, exactly. Edward probably I bet so actually. yeah we're coming out of that and that kind of influenced my whole you know my whole area where I focused on when I when I you know, used to fantasize about guitars I was still at that point very classic guitar um, oriented you know I I, I love the classics uh-huh. and so we had that that wave. And I don't know when it kicked off. Then you started getting bands like, was it Quiet Riot? This is yep. like the second wave. Um, Rat. Yeah. Um, 
What other what all other that hair metal or and that's pretty stuff. much where I started noticing the pointy headstock. Those dudes Me all too. This, had the super strap pointy headstocks, and it was impossible. Your solo was like your centerpiece of like every song. You know, here's my solo. I got to work out my solo, and it's got to be faster and you know more tappy than anything else out there. Yeah. So it was that whole race to to sound exactly the same for for metal guitar players for a while and that is when I think when I think of the pointy headstock that's the era I think of and you mentioned bright colors we both know who was responsible for that right <laughs> that would be Steve Vai I was say, who yeah. created that um oh it was oh Ibanez gosh. yeah yes. and he like came up with a bunch of ridiculously um always forever stuck in the 80s color schemes and the innovation of putting a handle up right on the guitar itself well, you don't need a case really just... right well I mean yeah well, how else are you going to carry it right <laughs> so the monkey grip they the called it grip. And I don't know if his first version was a seven string but he definitely oh my gosh yeah. I don't know if he was the dude that did the seven string uh, thing I still don't understand it. my mind I, doesn't go I there. know like, but I think he was one of the first guys that said you know what I need one more string yeah, come on like, can you do and they, of it's course they so tough now ask this guy says this has one more it goes to 11 and there's one more string yes so uh, yeah I it, it's a weird uh, era for guitar yeah because like you say the guitar playing itself was all just copying uh, essentially Eddie Van Halen and different not very not really different permutations of that like you're saying just all kind of the same thing it's like one guy sounding like the other guy sounding like the other guy sounding they're doing right. the same things uh with these pointy colorful guitars um yeah and i luckily i never really got sucked into that of wanting one of those guitars because i was always yeah. like you i was like well, i'd rather have a les paul or a strat or one of those guitars and not right. to say i mean hey if, again as we always like to say our disclaimer if you if that's what spoke to you and that's what you wanted that's cool but um, it spoke to a lot of people so there's a lot of people I and there's kicked myself for not buying the classic guitars back then because oh, no kidding they were going for really reasonable prices because nobody wanted them right. at the time so do you know who it was that actually Saved like let's the Les Paul standard from you know just abs- being coming t- completely obscure during that era. No, I want to know though. Was Slash Ooh. from Guns N' Roses? His, I mean, you know they were very popular. They were stuck inside that whole like hair metal thing, and they kind of poked out as like the you know the new hope for the Aerosmith esque kind of styles. And he was like, you know, as we all know, an yeah. avid Les Paul enthusiast. And the thing that's great that. Back then, in the 80s, when um, Appetite for Destruction was out, mm-hmm. I really had no interest in that music. I, li- I was familiar with it. I didn't pay any attention to it. It had this Ethel Merman-style vocals. <laughs> but much later, I- I'm actually now a big fan of that record. I, yeah. I like that record a lot. And what I- one of the things I like about that record is, in an interview with Slash one time, I recall him saying, all I ever wanted to do was make a record as good as um, Aerosmith's Rocks. And I'm like, well, you know what? I think you did. I mean, I exactly, kind of favor yeah. the Aerosmith, but, yeah, me but too. it's a it's a solid fucking yeah, record, for a rock, and you know, song for song all the way across. So I, I kind of think he did it. So kudos to him for you know attempting that and creating that. I mean, I think that record is great, not only for the music and the way it captures hard rock in that you know kind of desolate hair metal era, yeah. but you know, it's just it's a good record and. He um he kind of kept the Les Paul going. I agree, and that's cool that you cited that. Um, 
because I think you're absolutely right. He was playing, he's a Les Paul guy through and through. I think occasionally he played other funky guitars, like he had a BC Rich Mockingbird, or oh, something, yeah, yeah. which is cool too. I dig those. But yeah, I mean, he, he's a Les Paul guy. If I think of Slash, it's a Les Paul in his hands, and it's that sound. Um, I dug that record when it first came out. Just I don't know why. It just grabbed me. I don't know. And Mark, my friend Mark and I went and saw them open for Iron Maiden. Oh, people. that would have been great. It was a freaking great show. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I you know, the Ethel Merman vocals, I think, yeah, is, is funky. But in terms of, and I don't really care for much of the stuff they did after that, but that first album, I think, is, like you say, a good rock album. It's, it's it, a you classic. know, I mean, a lot of people mention it as a seminal rock album. Um, I think it is up there. And in terms of guitar, saving kind of a classic guitar tone and model yeah slash has to be credited uh with that and again i would say too the indie uh genre i think helped usher in a love for more vintage instruments too like like all those guys were buying cheap fenders and and using fender amps and all this other stuff and then these cheaper models became popular kind of like we were talking about with uh, leslie west playing a junior back in the day nobody wanted those guitars he you know he he was on to it student guitars yeah i'm not a student (laughs) but he was on to them and he dug them and then sure enough as time went on people like yeah these or or mott the hoople those guys they were smart they They got they love these them on to it so that's where it came from but um so i think what's cool about uh, these different cycles of music is is how they a lot of these people kind of harken back to these old instruments and these old things that they kind of go these are really cool and they're cheap right at the time a lot some of it's a combination of yearning for that classic stuff and also not having a lot of money to spend on gear you know and so they wind up with a Mustang or a Bronco or something like that playing through a cool old Fender who knows what you know right now it's interesting that you mentioned the independent 80s independent music because personally my journey i came out of the 70s kind of into classic rock and like i mentioned the first wave of you know european heavy metal Mm -hmm. and at some point i kind of found that that independent music and i was way into that bands like husker do the replacements the meat puppets the minutemen I started going down that, and I kind of turned my back on my whole classic upbringing, which was kind of a shame. I, I got it back eventually. Yeah. But, yeah, that I think that's that was a really interesting point, because all those people were into the, you know, they were like, you know, punk-influenced and, you know, and pop-influenced, and they totally. they sought out those classic instruments yeah. and, and made them, you know, and brought them back into the forefront for anybody that was into that music. Yeah. So it's great. And you mentioned, like, there was... BC Rich, which I kind of think of more as a, you know, more as a 70s kind of like a guitar. But in the 80s, I'm trying to think of any guitars that came out during that period that were like went on to become classic. I think for some people, um, even though you and I might not get this, I think that, um, what was it, Kramer, who started out in the 70s as a, you know, aluminum neck guitar. And then they went to, you know, after the Van Halen thing, they went to super strat style guitars. But I think those kind of in their own right are classics and they made a lot of those guitars without the Floyd Rose that were just like you know kind of super strat right and those were cool I always kind of liked those the ones that were just like a dead strat knockoff yeah I thought those were cool and I believe those are collectible all this stuff is probably collectible I know Ibanez gems are collectible now too very collectible for some people but I'm t- I'm kind of look- looking for something that became another classic. Well, I think I think Hamer guitars yeah kind of are known in guitar circles as a cool classic guitar like if you get an 80s hammer or a 70s hammer those are great guitars man. i agree so those are class and they didn't do a lot of funky 
to my recollection, they didn't do a lot of funky body styles. They were kind they of, did for a while. They? And, okay. and I was just going to okay. mention that because okay. even companies Maybe like Guild, who yeah. were like well, a classic. Guild went way off the rails. Yeah, man. they had a, a pointy headstock, <laughs> oh kind of funky well, guitar. Well, and a pointy guitar. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just, oh, my God. That moon-shaped thing. Yes. I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, so everybody, but, even Gibson. That's I mean, they that's had a true. super strap that's with a pointy true. headstock. So everybody kind of lost their minds. Okay, I'll cut everybody some slack for, for the weird body styles, but but Hamer's a good one because they did start in the seventies, but they were really popular. You know, people that we like took note of, like yep. players of note, kind of adopted them in the eighties. Yamahas, the double cutaway, big. Remember those are those became those were a thing in the in the eighties, seventies, and eighties. Yeah, yeah, they, they kind of kicked off in the seventies. But I love those guitars. You're talking yep. about the S- SG SG two thousands yes. here in the U.S. They're called yes. SBGs. Yes, those ones. Those are great guitars. Yeah, and I those are kind of, of a classic. I do too. But those are kind of a classic ones. So Hamer and those kind of I think of as. But again, like you're saying, I think some people consider these Ibanez guitars a classic guitar. I oh, see yeah. people. I see people covet those Steve Vai. Um, guitars you know those ibanez bright colored things or whatever but um prs i also have to mention that oh, even yeah. though i'm not yep. a, a super a super fan of yeah, prs they did um i they i mean looking through my old guitar player magazines which i now collect <laughs> I, they come up like ads and i those totally I, I never knew of their existence until the 90s yeah when i was working in a guitar shop i didn't give them a second thought you know what i mean yeah so that was one that you could you could argue Let's talk about um, just gear in general. Like you're coming out of the 80s and, it's, you know, people are, um, you know, a lot of people are like kind of moving over to solid states. Uh-huh. Not a lot, but there's a, there's a number of them that like, you know, Yamaha. Well, there's a big solid state movement in the 80s, like huge. Yeah, like, yeah. So people were doing that. But the, also that's where you get into that, like the Bradshaw switching system and the yeah. rack preamp and power amp. Yeah. That got, people kind of went nuts on that for a while and programmable you know, effects. Like, yeah. I'm not talking about the, the modern pro I'm talking about like the rack units yeah. that, oh, that drives me nuts. Totally. To, me too. To try and to figure that out, that tweaky, like you're, you know, like you're setting up a giant Casio watch <laughs> to get your sound. Well, not only that, when you listen to those guitar sounds from those rigs, to me anyway, they sound like they're coming through some weird Casio thing and they don't, there's no presence to the sound or, I, I mean, I can't say that across the board, but I'm recollecting these guitar sounds through these, silly rigs and it didn't sound to me very it didn't sound organic or it just sounded weird it sounded processed and and strange and not not appealing to me at all but and i think uh yeah i I think there's a lot of regret there's some i can't think of any i have a huge stack of records right here but i can't think of any but i do know that i've fairly recently listened to a lot of records from the 80s a lot Uh of lps uh and a lot of them sound really good they they were still getting good guitar sounds but i know what you're saying in general like where the the popular like listening to the radio in the 1980s and where the sound was at we talked about that in the strat episode where you know there was a lot of shitty keyboard yeah and you know guitar sounds were like very direct sounding into the board and and like you're saying, there were there were a lot of great guitar sounds, but there were a lot of shitty guitar sounds. <laughs> yeah. And like you say, it, those were the, a lot of the guitar sounds that were prominent because they were being played on the radio. And even like guitar players that we loved before went through this odyssey of even uh, Alex Lifeson went through this whole thing of using Hughes and Ken, or he used he used outboard racks too. Yeah, at I one think point he still uses shitty stuff. Pat Travers, all these dudes like that were using like just solid, you know, Marshall stack with a freaking melody maker. They went through this odyssey of. Play. And we, as we all do, but you know, when you when you listen back to that stuff again, I my favorite guitar tones from all these guitarists usually is their first guitar tone they had. 
You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can Eddie Van Halen, that first album, that sounds so freaking cool, man, because it's this untamed, breathing, cool guitar sound rather than this kind of formulaic sound that he ended up with. But anyway, that's um, yeah. I think you're right. There were a lot of great guitar sounds from the '80s, but also there were just a lot of silly rack mounted ding dongy things going on. Ding dongs. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else culturally on the gear front that was like in vogue. That oh, well, of... just the playing, like we talked about. Yeah. It's like the, the, like you were saying the the, you know, the bar for being a great guitar player quotes, I'm using quotes is, uh, was your ability to tap or play really fast or do rake picking or all of these techniques that for you and I are just, you know, parlor tricks, really. It's like the guitarists you and I love are guitar players that play tasty rhythm and then tasty leads or you know which again i i, I love guitar acrobatics love and stuff like that in the context but, of what it is yeah the, the other thing if you take the shredding and you remember another big phenomenon was the power ballad <laughs> oh my where, gosh yeah where yeah. you have you know the power ballad <laughs> and the song almost basically stop so that they can shoehorn their solo that they worked out with all this tapping. Of course. That's a classic example, and I fucking love Eddie Van Halen. I mean, yeah. it's great. I'm not I do too. say, yeah. you know, kind of a revolutionary guitar player. But, I mean, he got to a point where I, when I'm listening to some of those records, it's like that whole thing is like, okay, this song I'm going to use as a vehicle for the solo that I work. A jump is a classic example. You've got this pop song, this infectious pop song, and it's time for the solo. Let's stop the whole fucking song, <laughs> stick this solo in, and then you know I'll, I'll use some some of this horrible keyboard sound to bring us back in. It's like it doesn't. Yeah. It's not like at one with the song. No, it's like not playing the, 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 the playing song yeah. that I really like. You know, yeah. I like playing around vocal lines and you know yeah. solos that just. You know, get get you there, and there was a lot of a lot of great stuff then too. But yeah, that whole like I've had this solo for a while now. I need to stick it in a song somewhere. <laughs> it's like you know, you should get a solo from a song and not the other way around. Yeah, and I agree. And I think a lot of the solos from that time period in the '80s were like that. It was just a chance for some dude to show you how he could tap or how yeah and and it didn't necessarily fit the song per se, but it was just like, hey, look at me. I've got spandex and capizios and blow dried hair and I can shred on my speed was speed was the in the guitar circle speed was a a controversial like thing that people I remember listening to swear to god in some (laughs) some uh, magazine listening to Al DiMiola bitch about players in speed like it's all all they can do is speed I mean Mr. Fast Scale (laughs) is like he is like talking about pretty ironic yeah Yeah. I, I found that rather ironic I'm like really so yeah, it was everybody was kind of up in arms about the the speed race. You know, there was a lot of people that were striving to be fast, and people yeah. were just talking about. Spread. I mean, Frank Zappa was another one that was kind of like. I mean, which is an ironic again because he worked with Steve Vai a lot. But right. he, I remember him bitching about everybody's just all about speed. Right. So I'm not even really wired to critique somebody like Steve Vai or Joe Satriani. Because I, I just don't get that. You know, I, I don't get what, what that is. Yeah. And I know they have huge fan bases, so yeah. they're great. And, and somebody gets it, and I'm glad yeah. that they do. But, you know, I'm just more of like, I take one greatly placed note over 20 any time. So, totally. you know, and a song. And a con- that's the thing about that. I mean, people like, you know, I've had people who assume, like, you play guitar. Here, check this, this, this Joe Satriani <laughs> thing out. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's great. And he's got a good band. But, um, 
I don't hear a song. No. You know, it's, it, there's got to be a song to start with. Because it's featuring him on guitar. It's not exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's cool. And I mean, there's there's joy brought to people who are yeah. a fan of that. But it's just like, and my whole point with that is like, I'm not going to really like jump on some wagon and start dissing that style of playing just because I don't get it. Exactly. So um, it sucks, though. I'll say that. No. <laughs> no, and I think I feel this exact same way. And, and um, for me, it, like as a... As time has gone by, like when I was young, I was just totally it, like a fish to a lure, right? It was like there was a fast <laughs> yeah. guitar player, flashy. I'm like, damn, that's amazing. How do I play that? But as you get older, like for me, uh, yeah, the song just became the important thing. There are songs that I love that have no guitar solo whatsoever. It's just a great song. Right. I mean, it's and it doesn't need anything else, right? And um, the, as a musician, you know, hopefully you mature and you go, you know, there, you know, and still, I still have a place in my heart for guys like Eddie Van Halen and, and Michael Shanker, but Michael Shanker, as oh, we know, is a totally yeah. different animal altogether. But for shredders, per se, I, I still have a soft heart my, spot in my heart for those players. But um, overall, I just prefer great songs over, you know, whatever somebody considers to be great guitar playing, right? And that's another thing. In guitar circles, it's like, wow, that guy's so fast. He's a great guitar player. It's like, well, he's fast, but what is the, how does that relate to being a great guitar player, really? Right. You know, technically, he can do all these things or she can do all these things, but what are they doing with it in terms of expressing some really beautiful music, musical uh, expression, you know? I don't know. But like you say, I mean, it speaks to some people, and a lot of people, for, for that matter, those, they go see those g3 things or whatever where there's three shredders touring the world playing ultra fast stuff but uh yeah i'm the same way i I really just prefer a great song and taste tasty playing you know right and another thing we should mention that when we if we back up and go we talk about you know slash kind of saving the les paul during that era you also had someone like stevie ray vaughn who was kind of carrying the flame for the stratocaster so there's two classic guitars that were kind of like you know, keeping it alive during yeah. the Super Strat craze. Um, so you've never owned a Super Strat, right? I've never owned a Super Strat. I've never no. owned a Super Strat. No. I never. I don't even think. I don't even know if I've played one. Um, <laughs> what is a Super Strat? Is it the a Super Strat? Thing yeah, I guess we did? should. Yeah. we should establish yeah. what that is. It's, it's sure a Stratocaster it shaped body because Stratocaster. Let's face it, it's a comfortable guitar. It you know, is. It's, it's great. Everybody it's loves the Strat it style help me. My ribs. body, and then it's got. It usually has a, a humbucker in the bridge. And most often, two other single coils. So you have single coil oh, neck, got it. single coil middle, yep. and the humbucker in the bridge. And it'll have, you know, probably more frets for higher access because you got to get way up there. You've got to go higher frets, than the yeah. last guy. And it'll have some sort of like whammy system, either right. the Kaler or the Floyd Rose. So that, in my mind, is what, you know, the Super Strat okay, I got is you. Yeah. and was. No, I've never owned a And they made a shit ton of them. I mean, they, they were like cheap knockoffs. Right. And every company, I can't think of a company that, I mean, I probably could think of a company that didn't. But, I mean, all the big ones, Fender, you know, played around with. They, they, oh, yeah. they had a Super Strat. Um, Gibson had a Super Strat. You mentioned Hamer. Yeah. We mentioned Gill. Charvel. Charvel. Everybody, everybody. Jackson. Yeah. So, yeah. I think you're right. The other yeah. pointy headstock shape was the Randy Rhodes, like you know, funny looking V style. Right. That was that was big for a while. And then V's, I mean, those V's and Explorers kind of had a little bit of yeah, they, a little bit of life there. But they're they want not just straight off the shelf, you know. No, that's gotta, no. You got to have like they got to be sharper points. <laughs> that you know that hockey stick head is okay for old guys, but we need <laughs> sharp. Yeah, we need to be able to impale somebody. And you know? yeah, and we definitely need it like the, the angles a little bit. Sharper, and you know, we need some high output pickups. High output pickups were, 
were a thing that yeah. kind of came held, hold, held over from the 70s. Because as soon as companies like DiMarzio started making hot humbuckers, everybody wanted yeah. one. Well, and the the morphing from Marshall, from that warm, cool, overdriven sound to the JCM 800, more metally yeah. sound is kind of one of the things I don't like about the evolution of that amplifier because I just think I went again, there's some good sounding JC or I like whatever, them, but you're right. It's a little zingier on the top. I, yeah. Which I don't, it's just, it just sounds more metally more. It doesn't sound as warm and mm-hmm. which again is, is they're catering to a certain genre of music that wants to buy these amps, which is totally cool. But yeah. Uh, and the, um, that's a great that you mentioned amps because you know what Fender did and uh, uh, remind me, there's one other thing I want to say about Fender, but okay. yeah, they went through that, you know, we our whole classic line, and then in the 80s, they started to, to switch it up a bit. We have, like, this new Harvard-type thing, and then they got that Paul Rivera guy in there, oh, right. and he took the designs and just, like, added a bunch of shit to them. Those are collectible amps. People like yeah. them, yeah. and they sound good, kind of in spite of how much shit is inside those amps. Yeah. Um, so he was he must have known his shit because he was able to put a bunch of crap in there and still make them sound good like he did the super champ which is really kind of collectible and I think he had did a little bit for each model in the line and took it uh-huh. up you remember the red knob Fender yes, era I do, I do. Where they were two but they had those little tiny red knobs yes the thing I was going to say about Fender in the 80s I, I distinctly remember living in Lansing, Lansing, Michigan. It must have been like 86 or 87, somewhere around there, and going into this guitar shop called Marshall Music uh-huh. in Lansing, and they had the new Fender line, the Fender Strats and Tellies, and um, and looking, and they were all made in Japan. And I was talking to the dude, and I'm like, yeah. He's, and at that time, this shop owner wasn't really sure that there was ever going to be... I mean, they didn't have a shop yet. They didn't wow. have... U.S. manufacturing set up yet. So he was like, yeah, I don't, that might be it for USA Fenders. It turns out it wasn't, and they right. were all, a while, all the while they were working to get manufacturing set up. But I thought, you know, I thought I trusted this guy's well, opinion. Sure. And I'm like, wow, that's it. And I had a USA Stratocaster, so I'm like, yeah, this is going to be worth <laughs> so much money. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, it was just a short, for a short time. And if you wanted a new Stratocaster, Telecaster, they were made in Japan. Yeah. And they were made really well, too. Yeah. I mean, that's when, I mean, Japan has always done really well with making guitars, especially in that era. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think they were, at that time, they were really trying to, you know, we want to hold this Fender account. So they they got the details on the reissues. They got the details better than the USA reissues. Like yeah. There's the, the 52 Telecaster, for instance, they did it better, you know, as far as like attention to detail yeah. than the first USA versions. Yeah. But, They're, they made some great guitars and continue to do so. But um, yeah, I, I uh, the 80s was an interesting time for, for guitar and also, let's remember that the 80s was the, the dawn of New Wave and all this other stuff. And people were saying, lit- I remember literally people were saying, the guitar's done. Pete Townsend music. was a, yeah, he was a very vocal yeah. person who uh, was saying that the guitar is on the way out. It's going to be um, yeah. synthesizers. and Totally. Yeah. I knew he was wrong then. You're still wrong, Pete. You're, you're a good guy. Yeah, I, I don't think music, I. But I don't think I really bought wrong. into that either at the time because I, I I was a guitar player and I played guitar and I saw all this new wave stuff with all the synths, synths synthesizers and stuff. But I, it, it, I never really bought into that. Like, oh, the guitar's going to totally fall away from music. And sure enough, it 
you know, the big hair stuff came along and then, and then the indie stuff really surfaced and then grunge surfaced, which brought <laughs> grunge, that still cracks me but up. it brought, but grunge, you know, love or hate it brought again was guitar oriented right. rock, you know, yeah. that, that brought back amplifiers and guitars and all that other stuff. And so, yeah, that was the nineties though. Or well, the not, yeah, but the, you know, you know, it set it up in the late eighties <laughs> it and maybe. it was that first wave of, um, independent music that you mentioned yeah. that, that got us there. That was the, I was really into that type of music and that, you know, guitars in there, like a lot of Gibsons and, and Fenders. So yeah, the classic guitar was saved in part by them as well. I love it. So it's never yeah. going to die. Yeah. Man, my musical hope, taste was, what was your musical taste back I, then? Well, again, like you, I, I'm the classic rocker. That's what I was, I was bred on. But then I did in the eighties, I got into a lot of new wave and a lot of indie music and, and I kind of shed my, 70s classic rock cred and and love and got into the whole new wave thing as i as i got a little older and into the 90s and stuff i i came back like you were saying back into the more classic rock stuff and everything else but yeah i went down the rabbit hole of like but i I never played a synth or anything i always played guitar but i loved bands like the split ends and things like that that were guitar there was still a guitar prominently featured in their sound but they were definitely new wave and had and weird and and then I, I, I guess I just liked guitar bands still that, that, you know, where guitars played prominently in their sound. How about yeah. you? Uh, kind of the same. Um, I literally shed my classic rock at one point because I remember that I, was, I went to a party and I brought my record collection. It was like, you know, it took me three trips from the car. It wasn't huge, <laughs> but there was a lot of records over to this party. And we had this party over a weekend. And then I, I came home and then it's like, yeah, just keep them. I, I left my records. Dang. It was like all it was like all my Zeppelin, all my Dude. classic shit. Because then I was I had you know I started a tape. My sister was sending me tapes of all these bands like you know I mentioned Who's Could Do right. and replacements and so I was way into that stuff. So and I kind of like got really kind of a little snobby and, and turned my back on that. It didn't take very long before I realized you know what I can have that and I can have this too exactly. And that was the other thing is when I started playing in a band and I was into this kind of new independent music, I was thinking like, I want to write some songs. How am I going to write songs? And I'm thinking like, um, you know, all these bands that I'm listening to, I like, but the guitar is a different, coming from a different, you know, a lot of these people just picked up the guitar and started a band. Right. So, you know, and I had already been playing for a number of years. So I'm like, what am I going to do? And when I heard the replacements, uh, you know, a light bulb went off. It's like, oh, I can keep my Aerosmith licks. And I can, you know, so that was like the first band that told me it's okay to rock That's and cool. use your, use your stuff. So that, that was kind of an enlightening moment. And so that's when I started making music that it was through those influences and just started playing in bands and then tr- learned how to write songs. And I've always been classic guitars for, for everything, you know, I, I think never... that's so cool that you mentioned that exactly you come to the realization that, you know, I don't have to like one or the other. I can like all this stuff. Yeah. And there's no, you know, taboo about doing that. I, I mean, I, I, the same way. It's like I, you know, I love all kinds of funky music that people probably wouldn't expect me to like, but I love it because it's just there's too much music out there to say I only love like a couple genres or this genre or whatever. Right. Um, but, um, but I have always been attracted to guitar rock because a I grew up listening to that kind of stuff, and then b 
I play guitar. And so I think yeah. I'm just drawn to that kind of music. But uh, And yeah, I mean, like, you know, we we're talking about Pete Townsend talking about the demise of mm-hmm. guitar. I mean, now, today, technology where it is, I mean, you can, you know, sampling and whatever, but you're still, you're never going to find anything that sounds as much like a guitar as a guitar. Right. So, you know, I think, and, and it's really amazing when you think about that, 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 that the electric guitar as it is and as it'll always be used, you know, was pretty much perfect in, you know, when it came out in yeah. the, the early 50s. So, totally. I mean, they got it right. I mean, the they solid did. body electric guitar in the early 50s. Amen. Thank so, you, yeah. people like Les Paul and so Log. The, and so the, the 60s didn't kill it. The 70s didn't kill it. No, the 80s didn't kill no. it. The 90s came close. No. <laughs> the 90s didn't kill it. And the aughts. And I think, yeah. Aughts. I think it still looks good for the guitar, man. I think it's going to be around for a while. And I think it's just, it's a kind of instrument that just, it, there's more to it than just being a musical instrument. There's so much psychology that goes, having this cool instrument slung around your body, you know what I mean? There's just this yeah. I this image of somebody like that, whether it's a woman or a man, playing this thing on stage, it's just cool. That's, that's the, you know, the, the guitar player and the vocalist are the two, I think, people in bands that get the most love because right. there's just some romance about those two is things. The guns, they're gunslingers. <laughs> they're gunslingers. Yeah. Well, dude, uh, I, I think that was a great convo about guitar yeah. in the 80s. And, was, uh, and thanks who to you that suggested that yeah. because we're always looking for ideas of shit to talk about. And thanks that was so a good much. one. Yeah, keep those ideas coming, man. We, uh, we definitely love it. And... We really appreciate you guys for listening to this podcast. We appreciate you uh, following us on Facebook and Spotify and iTunes. Yeah, and go there and, and rate us and, and give us some love. We would love it if you guys gave us Rate some. us if you're going to rate us well. <laughs> yeah, only if you're going to rate us well. Otherwise, no, knock it off. Um, but this has been another great episode of Chris and Rick Talk Guitars. That's Chris. Hey. I'm Rick. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.